0: Hey there, thank you for listening to the Big Time Talker Podcast and the Blog Talk Radio Network, live from our studios in Washington, D.C., which... In the interest of full disclosure, currently is still my kitchen table because I can't get back into the studio. It's Burke Allen and uh, the podcast brought to you by our pals at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest virtual online speakers bureau. If you're a speaker or you're a meeting planner and you're trying to navigate this difficult time with a pandemic and figure out virtual speaking opportunities or rescheduled keynote addresses for 2021, log on to SpeakerMatch.com for the latest intel on that industry. A similar industry that's been affected uh, perhaps as much or more than most is the live event and entertainment business. And uh, it's just in a tailspin. Folks are not able to get out and go to concerts, and it's uh, it's negatively affected hundreds of thousands of people in that industry. Jack Foreman is the big kahuna at uh, Bi-Coastal Productions, and he's a booking agent. We'll talk to him about what's happening in his business and how it's affecting the entire Entertainment industry as we welcome my pal Jack Foreman to the uh, the Big Time Talker podcast. Hello, sir. How are you holding up?
1: Hello, my friend. I'm doing okay, hanging in there out here in New Jersey. How about you?
0: Well, it's uh, it's an interesting time for those of us that work with uh, with entertainers and within that industry. But uh, let me rewind just a little bit for all the folks that that listen to the podcast, and, and we talk to everybody. We talk to authors and entertainers and TV and movie folks. Uh, an agent. What does an agent in the entertainment industry do?
1: Uh, well, I mean, you know, nowadays what we do is try to prove that we're still worth uh, worth our, our worth, for lack of a better term, because yeah. uh, there isn't a lot in the way of booking. But an agent's job, in most capacities, whether you're uh, an agent for film, for literary, or for um, TV, whatever it may be, or concerts, like we are. Uh, It's our job to go out there and find opportunities for employment or for work or for performance in our particular case for the artists we represent. And, you know, we go out and speak to promoters and uh, venues and organizers around the world. We also work with some corporate event planners, uh, just really trying to find the best opportunities for our artists. You know, we work tirelessly for the acts we represent and just trying to find the best shows, the best tours, um, and really just tread the line of the career path that each of them want to take.
0: Jack Foreman, our guest today, the president of Bicoastal Productions, based in New York City. and uh, Bicoastal's been around for a long time. You guys are not new to this industry. Tell me a little about the history of your company.
1: Sure. Well, yeah, we're we're getting into, I guess, that phase of not being the new guys anymore, which is certainly nice, but uh, we still learn new things every day. The company's been around for about 12 years now, and it was started by, A man named Ron Gartner, who was a performer himself, you know, he spent uh, most of his career uh, well into his 50s, actually, just in the sales and uh, textile industry. Uh, So after that, he reunited with his former passion of singing. Um, You know, little by little, he'd book himself in piano bars and things like that. And then suddenly he started playing private events and things like that. And then little by little, he'd play some casino showrooms. And then he started playing small theaters and then he was going through so much booking himself and he really would market himself in such a way that was so different than most artists like him. Um, And it it caught on, you know, when people would see him at conferences. So others would say, Hey, you know, I love the way you're working. You know, let's, can you book me some shows? I'll pay you a commission. And little by little artists started coming on board. And then, um, you know, he started hiring more agents. His wife came on board. Who's uh, Fran Heller. She's a marketing prodigy who was, a real big-time executive for many, many years in the advertising uh, agencies and industry, uh, working with just some massive, massive clients. And now, her work with us is invaluable. You know, not just as an agent, but as um, a chief marketing officer and somebody that helps our artists uh, with tour marketing and things like that. And then, about six and a half years ago, I came on board myself, having just um, you know left ICM Partners here in New York. You know, I'd come out straight out of college, you know, to come work at ICM. Uh, they gave me two days to move my entire life out there, and I was like, "Well, I'm, I'm a kid in Wisconsin. I'm not missing that opportunity." Um, so I came out and then uh, spent a few months there. It wasn't really the best fit for what I wanted to do with my career, um, so I ended up going right over to coastal and became an agent right away. And you know, the company's just grown little by little. You know, we represent such a wide variety of talent. You know, whether it's classic rock, modern pop, or theatrical shows spectacle a little bit of just about everything um so we've we've really grown and we you know continue to keep that mentality of a of a smaller company while we do bigger and bigger things each year
0: our guest is jack foreman the president of BiCoastal coastal productions we're talking about the impact of COVID 19 on the entertainment industry you're based in manhattan in new york city um, take me back to the second week of march um, 2020, and what was happening in your office as the world all came to a halt, especially in terms of of tours. I'm sure you had artists that were booked to play that weekend when everything shut down.
1: Yeah, yeah. The most, uh, the, I guess, the most stressful part of it all that second week was we had two different bus tours that were uh, that had come in were international artists that literally were on the road traveling to shows that night. Um, and not only were their shows canceled, and then the next week of shows were canceled slightly after, but we had to worry about getting them back to their home countries. Um, You know, shows were getting canceled left and right. You know, the phone was ringing nonstop, the emails were popping up, and uh, it kind of felt like you were in one of those Wall Street movies where everything is going down really quickly. Um, You know, so we didn't really have time to panic. We just had to kick right into gear and be there for our clients. We had to give them answers as to what to expect, which we were just speculating at the time. Um, and then later that week, I said, uh, this isn't safe. I'm closing the office uh, because Ron and Fran were still down in Florida. They spend about a month or two there every year working remote there and visiting theaters. And I was running the office here, and I just I said, I'm, you guys stay home, work, bring your computers, bring what you need. Uh, it's not safe. And sure enough, New York shut down a couple days later, and, uh, you know, we just... We picked right back up working from home but we had to make a lot of difficult decisions we had to make some really difficult phone calls and you know deal with some difficult situations but thankfully most of the shows that we had to move uh were indeed moved and not canceled we have had to cancel a number of them but most shows were rescheduled which is kind of the blessing in all this and then you know during the pandemic we've had to find creative new ways of adjusting to it and finding new opportunities for our artists, which has been challenging yet exciting at the same time.
0: Without getting into specifics on, on the dollar amounts, I'm sure you can't do that for contractual reasons, but from a percentage standpoint, how, what, what percentage of, of performances, uh, in 2020 for bi would you say have been either postponed or canceled?
1: Uh, for the shows that we had on the books, and I'll even I'll even stretch that and bring it into the first quarter of 2021 because as of, as we speak that's the time that's being affected now when it comes to speculating whether these things will go on or not um, I'd say that about 88 to 93% you know to get real specific of our of our shows have been rescheduled which is good uh, we sometimes they're being re-rescheduled if we rescheduled them originally to be in the fall back in March. Now we're rescheduling them to be maybe even next fall or to 2022. We have rescheduled quite a bit into 2022, but it it keeps them alive. It keeps them on the map and it, you know, it keeps the deposits that we've received up in the air. You know, we say to people, you know, your deposit will obviously still be good for the rescheduled show. You know, if we're not having to do all kinds of stuff like that, it's, it's a lot better, but yeah, I mean, we have had to cancel quite a number of shows at, at the same time because, of the reasons of venues not knowing if they're even going to survive the night. So many of them are closing as we speak.
0: Jack Foreman is my pal, and he's my guest. He's the president of Bicoastal Productions, booking agency for entertainers based in New York City. Lots of times uh, folks who are not in the entertainment industry conflate what you do and what I do. I'm an artist manager. You're an agent. What's the point of delineation when you try to explain the difference between those two jobs
1: to folks? Uh, generally people will, will like being in your company more than they'll like being in mine.
0: Nah, come
1: on uh, now. That's, well, no, honestly, it's, 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 it, depending on the artist, honestly, there are some artists that are very hands on with their own careers. And then there are others that have either a management team or a manager. Um, and the manager is oftentimes the go between for all members of the team. Uh, I work with some artists where they have very big teams where the manager will literally be, you know, managing and, uh. Communicating with all the different arms of the team, whether it's the publicist, the attorney, maybe it's a European agent with the U.S. agent um, and the label and their and the publicist. Depending on what it is, uh, the manager is really there to be the artist's right hand. You know, I always give the analogy that if there's a car with the team in it, the artist is in the driver's seat rather than the manager. The manager is actually in the front seat riding shotgun. And then in the back seat, you've got the agent, you've got the publicist, you've got the label rep. Maybe in the back row behind that, you've got the attorney. You know, it, it can go on. Uh, but the point is, is that it's not our job to to tell an artist how to how to how to have their careers. It's our job to support them and help build their careers by finding new opportunities for them to pe- to play, or to perform, or to you know book something that's going to elevate their career to the next level. At the discretion of them and their managers you know we don't force anything on our artists we bring them opportunities and we fight for them but um, ultimately we're here to serve them and we're here to support them and watch them grow and that's the rewarding part of what we do but that's probably the biggest difference between a manager and an agent an agent's job is purely to secure employment Um, and by employment like i said before it could mean bookings it could mean film roles it could mean just about anything
0: so I'm glad you explained it that way, because I think there's an awful lot of folks that are not in the in the entertainment business that when they think, Oh, okay, we, we can't go to concerts and that's too bad, but you know, Tim McGraw is gonna be fine. He's got a gajillion dollars. And uh uh, you know, the guys in A C D C they'll be fine. They've been around for a while, they've put some money away. But there's a huge number of people in the background in the entertainment industry that are really affected by this pandemic from the, the lighting people to the sound people, to the ticket takers, to the, I don't know, the guy that cleans up the puke in the bathroom at the Aerosmith show. It's just an enormous, yep. uh, number of folks and you touched on just some of them.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and right now they're the ones that are probably suffering the most because, um, you know, agents can find creative ways and publicists and, managers can find creative new ways of advising their artists to bring in some new revenue. But, you know, that's that's mainly the reason why they've had these new initiatives come out, like with what Michael Rapino at Live Nation is doing for uh, this thing they called Crew Nation, where it's uh, to purely benefit the crew, you know, of all these venues that they work with and crew members around the country. And it could mean venue staff of all different kinds. But, you know, most of these people, whether it's a lighting guy or a, a stagehand or um whatever it may be a lot of these people are contract workers they're not full-time employees of these venues a lot of them are freelancers so they've really taken a huge hit
0: and in many cases those freelancers as i've come to learn i didn't realize this before the pandemic uh, because they are the the definition of the gig worker many of them because of their tax status they you know they don't pay into uh that big social security bucket so there's not any sizable unemployment there for them, so they literally lose one hundred percent of their revenue and their ability to make a living from the get-go. There's nothing there.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the venues that are trying to support them are doing the best they can, but there's only so long you can go with no money coming in. It's it's really standard economics, and uh, oftentimes, you know, at, at this point of the pandemic. Every single industry virtually is affected, Um, you know, whether it's the food service industry or the travel industry, especially um, where it's very easy to overlook entertainment because you think, oh, well, entertainment is a luxury and those people will be fine. But if you really break it down in the music business and you look at all the agencies and all the management companies and all the record labels and just about anything associated with the live music sector. Um, there's just this massive, massive wave of unemployment and furloughs and uh, layoffs. And there have been a lot of initiatives to try to help it, but at the same time, it's it's still really suffering. And that's what prompted a lot of these organizations like NEVA, you know, Save Our Stages Festival, to really get out there and try to be a help to it.
0: So, Jack, I was uh, on the phone a couple of weeks ago on a conference call with the chief of staff uh, of Center Mansion in my home state of West Virginia, where I grew up, and... You know, his comment uh, that I thought was very interesting was that the theaters and the performing arts centers and the live music nightclubs in these cities um, are a cornerstone of Main Street USA. So it affects not not just the direct folks that we talked about in the industry, but if if a show doesn't happen in a performing arts center in Charleston, West Virginia, Huntington, West Virginia, Wheeling, West Virginia. Then the hotel and motel revenue goes down because people come in to see those shows. All the restaurants in the general vicinity go down. The parking lots that are close by those venues. I mean it. It just affects an entire community.
1: You're absolutely right. And then also on the flip side of that, if um, if these hotels are struggling in these towns, a lot of the public institutions, you know, if a, if a city is venue owned, a lot of their funding might actually come from the bed taxes that the hotels are collecting every night. Um, so that's going down and hurting it on the other side of it, but you're absolutely right. A lot of these places are attractions and the cornerstones of a lot of different markets. And if this, if this area is laying dormant, then everything around it is going to suffer. It's just, it's a fact. And, uh, you know, I, am from Wisconsin originally. I, I always think back to green Bay, you know, i go up there for a game, you know, luckily it's green Bay where people are just die hard about it, about it all. But in other areas where you know there may be a big football stadium where there isn't any fans, there isn't anybody coming there on Sundays during the season. A lot of those seasonal businesses that rely on the tourism and rely on the fans coming in, they're just they're all suffering because of it. So it's it's a ripple effect for real cornerstones. He makes he makes a great point.
0: Jack Foreman is my friend. He's also my guest on the Big Time Talker Podcast, powered by speakermatch.com. Jack is the president of Bike Coastal Productions in New York City. Uh, an entertainment booking agency. And in the agency world, agents are paid a percentage of the performer's fee. So to use round figures, if an entertainer makes $10,000 to do a performance, the agency will traditionally peel off 10% of that uh, to book it. So, So you're not on a salary It's all percentage-based. So you talked about being able to save some of these shows and push them off to 2021, and that's clearly much better than canceling shows. But still, that's got to be an enormous cash flow crunch for your company and other companies like yours. And listen, you're in Manhattan. I've been to your office. You know, you're in one of the most expensive zip codes in America how does the math work for booking agencies like a Bicoastal productions or a william morris endeavor icm or any of them how does that math work
1: well as much as i love being lumped in with the bigger agencies i can't really compare to them because they have other sectors and they have private equity funding i mean it's it is going to be different in that regard we're a privately owned company by a partnership and it's you know we've been very, very blessed. We have gotten some assistance, and uh, we had good reserves. You know we've we've been careful with our money and we've uh, we've had some good years in the past, and this year was shaping up to be arguably the best year we've ever had uh, for many companies, not just ours. Uh, you know I won't go into specifics as to how our agents get paid, you know, but when it comes to the way our company earns money, you're absolutely right. It's through commissions on bookings. Um, we're not taking money every time an artist sells a record. That's not our that's not our game. That's not how we make money. Um, and we're not getting anything off of merch either. We are purely making money on the shows that we book. Um, so it it has affected us in that way, obviously, for sure. We had to make some rough cutbacks, just like every agency in the world did. You know, the bigger agencies were laying off literally hundreds of people, and uh, originally it was furloughed, but now a lot of them were announced to be permanent layoffs. So, you know, it's... It's definitely one of the roughest things, and it, it it called us to really, really look at how we do business once again. But um, like I said, we're very, very blessed to have you know have the company built on a lot of good uh, financial fundamentals. That you know we've we have been conservative, but we've also been savvy with our investing. It's just not good for anybody right now. Is the bottom line. Um, you know i'm i'm very blessed to have a job i'll I'll say that every single day the people that work with us are very blessed and we're blessed to have them more than anything we've assembled right now what i think is one of the best teams we've ever had it's just a group of people who even though we're all seeing each other on zoom every morning when we meet up for coffee it's just everybody has this great mentality about it and they're they're excited to go to work even though yes there's not a ton of money coming in right now but they're just they're they're excited because they get to go to work and they get to represent artists. They get to book shows. You know, that's you have to you have to look at it that way. You have to think this is this is the best career. This is I can't do anything like this. Um, I need to be doing this because it's it's music. This is the big show. Even if it's a small show, it's still the big show.
0: So there are some creative things that uh, folks have done here and there, and I'd love to get your feedback on. And whether you think these things have legs, because people are trying a million different things to, to get past this tough time. And, and the first one would be uh, the concept of, of virtual shows where uh, performers do a concert or a live performance online. Is is there money to be made there? Is there uh, a revenue model?
1: There is. Uh, and it's it's incremental for most people. Unless you're a really big established artist, it's an incremental um revenue generator. Uh, it's not something that happens instantaneously. Um you, you use your local draw and then expand from there, that's usually the best way to go. Uh, but early on in the pandemic, I connected with uh, a friend of mine who then connected me to uh, a guy named Joel Madden, who was one of the founding brothers of the band, Good Charlotte. Him and his brother actually founded this platform called Veeps a few years ago. Uh, and Joel kind of walked me through it. And what it is, is it's, it's a tremendous live stream platform for artists, you know, that originally just started off as a means for VIP. Um, but now they offer a terrific platform for not only streaming your shows, but ticketing them as well. And the best part about it is that they don't take any of your revenue. What they do is they add a little bit on top. That's their uh, service fee, but the artist is actually retaining a hundred percent of their ticket sales, which is unheard of or was unheard of. I should say before the pandemic. Um, so they'd have, they'd have big artists, just hopping on with them. In addition to them themselves being established artists, uh, they'd have people like Brandy Carlisle or uh, Paul's Pity Party, Yahoo, Liam Payne from One Direction. I think every time Liam goes on, he crashes their server because he's got like fifty thousand people trying to uh, <laughs> go in. It's nuts. But if you think about it, you know that's that's ten to twenty or thirty dollars a ticket. Uh, but it's not just that. The creative thing they're doing is they're packaging it. You know, you could pay. $10 to get in, but then you could also pay $30 to get in and get a t-shirt sent to you or Some people are even paying a hundred dollars and then they may get like a five-minute zoom conversation with the artist after the show there's really all kinds of stuff you can do and uh, that's really one of the biggest things creatively that a lot of folks are doing but um, You know, I've seen a lot of that with you know things with veeps and with um, With other platforms. I know a couple of your clients are on stage it which is great stage It's been around a lot longer and, uh, you know, we have enjoyed watching that. And then uh, one of my clients, uh, actually Gordy Marshall, he was the drummer for the Moody Blues for 25 years or so. He uh, and his new band are doing a live stream event this Sunday, believe it or not, from, uh, from the U.K. It's, uh, it's his new show, Go Now, where he plays the music of the Moody Blues, but it's a bunch of other legacy members with him. They're streaming a show from London that's going to be a pay-per-view event globally, and it's being offered in partnership with venues here in the U.S., so they're going to get the benefit from it as well without having to actually open their doors. So it's creative stuff like that that really has been helpful for us. We have experimented with drive-ins and things like that and little outdoor shows, and we have done a couple of socially distant indoor shows. It's not a perfect science, but it's uh, it's definitely something to keep people busy. Um, but there's more and more creative things every single day. We've even got clients you know, experimenting with AR, VR, and Uh, all the other r's that are out there and uh, we even have one client that decided to go on tiktok early on in the pandemic and now they're a viral sensation they've got over 700 million views so it's really quite a time um and it's as as much as it's been challenging it's also been very rewarding to see things like that
0: so i work with the voices of classic soul former members of the temptations the platters drifters and the four tops and we partnered with a local arts alliance in Northern Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., to do a couple of those driving concerts. Um, and both of those shows sold out. And it was a, a beautiful Sunday afternoon. And, uh, you know, there were, I don't know, 75, 80 cars uh, in each show. And uh, folks tooted their horns when they liked the songs. And I thought it fit really well with, with legacy artists like that, those classic songs from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. As the weather turns colder in a lot of markets in the United States, that may not be a viable thing, but... Long term, is, is there a business model in doing that, or does it just take way too many cars to, to make the money work?
1: Yeah, and I was, I was talking to somebody from Live Nation the other day because they were doing the, the bigger scale events with drive-ins where they'd have like tailgate spots for the big country shows. And as much as it was nice for them to be putting on shows, it wasn't a moneymaker. It just wasn't. I mean, it was. It was. They were maybe breaking even on a good day, and that's the thing about most driving situations: is you're not really cleaning up doing it. You're just you're you're keeping your staff busy and employed, which is a win if you ask me. Um, and you're giving something to the artist, but it's not. It's not a, a steady model as is. Uh, I think that as socially distanced shows start happening more and more on the indoor side and even outdoor, there's going to be a nice hybrid that happens as well with the virtual aspect, where maybe you have. You know, uh, a 1,000-seat room, and you can only sell 200 of those seats because of socially distance guidelines, but then you can use those other 800 seats that you would have sold and have them be virtual tickets where you have a hybrid event. Um, so I think that's kind of the direction that a lot of this is going to go. That's a lot of what the venues are going to be starting to do for next season. And uh, yeah, as it gets cold, it's going to become even harder to do the outdoor stuff, but uh, to be honest with you, it was a Band-Aid. It wasn't really a more permanent solution to be doing things like drive-ins even even out here in Jersey they've done them and they've been good but i just don't see them as a long term solution
0: and you came into this and i remember you and i having lunch the other once and we both talked about how we we entered the entertainment industry as fans we're music fans and uh, i uh over the, this past weekend participated in one of those virtual shows for one of my other clients uh, Landau, Eugene Murphy jr. Who was the winner of America's got talent and is this incredible singer of great American songbook, He did a, a virtual show and fans, you know, were there from Europe and from British Columbia and, uh, all over the United States and uniformly their comments were fantastic. He did it on a, a, a different platform, um, that was uh, started by it's called sessions live started by the guys from Pandora, um, I wonder, though, as a music fan, how you feel about watching a show online versus attending a live music event. Because there really, to me, in, in my heart of hearts, if I'm being honest about it, Jack, there's just something about a live music experience. There's a, a chemical endorphin rush when you hear uh, one of your favorite bands you know, launch into one of your favorite songs that... I just am not sure it can be replicated online. And I'm the first for trying anything new and different. So I wonder, you know, your honest feedback on that.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And, uh, I, you know, you and I are both music fans, but I, I think that even the casual music fan will agree that there's nothing even remotely close to a live show. Um, you know, it's something like I keep saying, it's a bandaid, it's a, it's a temporary solution to have it be virtual. Um. You know, and and even older audiences are starting to embrace it. You know, folks that you'd never imagine would sit around a computer or a smart TV watching a streamed show. Uh, I just, I personally grew up being such a fan. You know, like you and I have spoken about, and I'm such a geek about people's credits and you know how they play live uh, and just watching them just do their thing. I think one of the biggest things with the virtual shows that's shown success and been something that I have liked is. You know, when they can be engaging with the people who are watching, you know, if they recognize some of the viewers or if they comment back on some of the comments, things like that is helpful. But still, uh, there's really just nothing like being there, being there for the show and cheering loud. And uh, I think it was it was out here. They had a big drive in here at Monmouth Park down the street here on the Jersey Shore. And they were doing big shows during the pandemic. They were doing And I think one night they had Southside Johnny, who's obviously a huge draw on the Jersey Shore. Sure. Uh, and he, you know, he looked out, you know, at hundreds of cars and he just kind of like, he kind of just like shrugged and was just like, you know, I just played a great song and these people are all applauding, but I just can't hear them. I can't hear them. So it, it also isn't just for the fan, it's for the artist. The artists are really having trouble, you know, feeling that love. Um, but luckily technology does come to the rescue sometimes. I mean, we've partnered with a, a platform, Uh, that's being used by sporting events now. It's called Hear Me Cheer, and they literally can pipe live cheering from your smartphone or from your computer into a live broadcast. So not only can you hear cheering on your TV or on your computer from other people watching, but the artist hears it while they're performing.
0: We've talked a lot about this from an economic standpoint and an emotional standpoint of how much we, we love live music and we want it to come back. What we haven't talked about, Jack, is is the very real health concern. And you were right there in the middle of it. I mean, your office was in Midtown Manhattan. You live in New Jersey. Uh, you saw up close and personal uh, in April what can happen when COVID-19 uh, gets a hold of you. So even when these venues reopen, whenever that may be, what's your gut on whether or not audiences will feel safe to come back into those venues, and how long will that take?
1: I think it's going to vary by region and age. You know, you're going to have, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to have the, uh, you know, the the children and the kids who are already ready to go back. You know, they want their Coachella, they want their their raves and their music festivals and all that. They're ready, and even younger people, you know, in their 20s and 30s, will say, you know what, I survived COVID or I didn't touch me. I'm going. Um, And it may very well be safe, but even when there's a vaccine, it's not going to be an immediate on and off switch. It's going to be a gradual improvement. So you're going to see, you know, the baby boomers and even the Gen Xers that, you know, were legitimately threatened by this virus. And they're going to, they're going to balk at it at first. They're going to rightfully so be afraid of going into a big crowd without socially distancing or everybody wearing a mask. And I think that's going to contribute to the gradual The gradual uh, resurgence of this industry. It's not going to be immediate. It's going to take years for it to even restore itself. But I do think you're going to start seeing, you know, fuller shows, you know, by the second two quarters of next year in 2021. I really do. I just don't think that it's going to be a magic fix like a lot of people are hoping, as much as I would love to be wrong about this. So I I think it's going to vary by age and obviously by area. You know, there are parts of the country where they're having shows that are not so socially distanced and people are okay with it and I'm not one to judge anyone ever on how they enjoy themselves. So, you know, it's gonna be varied by you know, by belief and also by age and by science. It just really all comes down to the people. But you know, I had a I had a great Zoom call with a brand new venue in Texas last week and they're set to open next month, uh, you know, indoors, socially distanced, but They're not holding back. They're going full speed, whereas venues in California are are shuttered indefinitely. So it's just so different across the board.
0: You're in New York City, um, at least for work and and sheltering at home and and working out of your home in New Jersey now, but there's been lots of talk about Broadway uh, pushing back their reopen date to, uh, I think, June of 2021. Those theaters, by and large, are much older, and I think that brings an awful lot of additional Uh, concern about COVID, you know, uh, poor ventilation and tiny, tiny dressing rooms and uh, seats that are tough for big guys like you and me to even squeeze into. Um, So I I wonder how much of Broadway being shut down uh, for a long time is something that people are going to be looking at as uh, a bellwether for them, or is that a unique case unto itself?
1: No, I think it's a good barometer for the rest of the industry. I mean, honestly, there's not only the physical New York Broadway effect, but it also affects Broadway touring, which affects the entire uh, industry of performing arts centers and Broadway houses and markets. You know, you've got in most major cities, a big venue that will bring in touring Broadway shows. And until there's some certainty about that, it's going to affect the way that they book everything else. Cause everything else is just filler. You know, those are the real moneymakers and for New York city, you know, Broadway has had rough years in the past it was finally doing a lot better, and it had a lot of good funding from, uh, you know, the, league, the leagues had good charitable funding and things like that. But it it's going to hurt a lot of people, you know, and it's not intentional. They're doing everything they can to safely keep everybody in the right place, but it's it's inevitable that it's going to hurt. You know, sporting events and things like that, they have the benefit of broadcast. That's why you think to yourself, well, sporting events can do virtual or TV, you know, they'll, they're okay, and that's because, you know, they're airing on Fox every Sunday. You know, you're still watching your football, you're watching your basketball in the bubble. It wasn't perfect, but it was still the NBA finals and they could still throw good ad budgets at that. You know, now college football is coming back. So it's, it's such a different, um, it's such a different thing. You know, Broadway really was dependent on tourism. You really don't know how many people are going to be rushing to get back to New York city now. And, uh, you know, it's it's just such a shame. It really is. But um, I think it is a good barometer to measure how the rest of the industry will go. But then again, it is New York and it is very confined theaters, whereas, you know, it doesn't necessarily compare to venues across the country.
0: I work with a lot of legacy artists, you know, artists that are um, in their yellow leaf years, you know, folks that are in their 60s and 70s. And There are A lot of those bands are still out there, and and prior to the pandemic, we're still touring and touring pretty heavily. I know you also work with some of those acts, too. I wonder what those artists and those artist managers are telling you about whether they want to be out there and touring right now, and and also some of your younger acts. What what does your talent say? Uh, Are they eager and ready to get back as soon as they can, or are they a little apprehensive about being out in, in the mix?
1: Uh, it varies. I mean, every artist has their own comfort levels. You know, it's, uh, you know, I have, I have folks like Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats is on my roster. He personally, you know, he lives out in L.A. with his wife. They live in Laguna Beach, actually. They, you know, Lee's taking wonderful care of himself over the years. He's very healthy, works out, you know, eats right, everything. But at the same time, he's very mindful of the science behind this, and he's not taking any risks. Um you know he's probably not going to feel comfortable performing until <clears throat> there's a pretty, you know, universal vaccine sometime next year, hopefully. Uh, and we had we had him scheduled to go to Europe in the in November, which is obviously going to get rescheduled anyways. But um, he'll be okay. You know, he'll be okay. But then there's other folks that, um, you know, are slightly younger that say we don't care. We just want to work. You know, this is the music. This is the show must go on. Um, So, you know, there's really kind of a healthy mix, I'd say. Um, We have some artists that are international, and they simply won't commit to anything because they don't know if the borders are going to be open.
0: Which is a whole different wrinkle that uh, lots of folks don't think about. You book those international tours. I guess all of that is off. It's not just a a domestic thing. This is an issue worldwide with the entertainment industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and unfortunately... Uh, The U.S. is not looked at as favorably when it comes to how we've handled the pandemic by other countries. So uh, they're not all eagerly allowing us in, at least not right this second. Um, So it's it's a challenge. And you always have these artists that are afraid that they may have to go somewhere and then quarantine for two weeks. So you just don't know.
0: Before we wrap up, Jack, I, w- I wanted to see if I can get you to crystal ball it a little bit. You said you believe that some live performance will open up second quarter 2021. Um, sort of you know, play this out for me over the next couple of years and, and how you see live entertainment coming back. Uh, you're on the inside. I know nobody knows for sure what's going to happen, but you follow this on a day-to-day basis. From what you're hearing, what you're learning, what do you think is going to happen?
1: Uh, My prediction, which I'd love to be wrong, and I very well may be, depending on how things play out, uh, I think that in 2021, in the first quarter, you're going to see it in the areas where they feel it's okay to do it. It may be other parts of the country. I do think that living in an election year has really uh, made the pandemic be thought of in a very strange way by the entire country, who sits divided. Uh, So I think that after the the election, regardless of the result, you're going to see a little bit more of a clear direction of things. And uh, that's going to be a big contributing factor to how things reopen. Uh, So after that, I think that's going to be the first step. And then the second step in the first part of 2021 will be some people returning, some people having shows and then keeping it going. But starting in the second quarter into summer, it's going to be, a little bit more picking up, but summer is usually quiet in general. I just, I don't think that Coachella or the big festivals are going to be able to do anything next summer either. Some may, but, uh, the big time ones probably won't. And then in the last two quarters of the, uh, of the year is when you're going to start seeing things to normalize, but hopefully by 2022, we can have some solid tours happening again. And, you know, international travel can start again when it comes to artists. But I just, I, as much as I want to have that crystal ball, I, uh, I may say one thing, and then the other agent across the room may say something completely different.
0: And, of course, so much of it depends on, you know, is there going to be a second wave of coronavirus? And, and if so, how is that really going to affect everyone? And if, if you're right, it, and it's 2022 before things really start to come back, do you have a gauge on, on how many venues will survive? I mean, are we talking about 80% of them still being there, 50%, 20%?
1: Well, I'm less worried about you know the venues that are on a college campus maybe, and you know they're they're part of that that system and that solution. And same thing with city-run venues or government-operated venues of any kind. I think those are going to probably be okay for the longer time. It's the uh, <clears throat> it's the independent venues. You know, they're they're really saying that up to 80 or 90 percent of them could close within the year if they don't get the aid that they desperately need. Wow. Um, and that's what the statistic is. But I don't know what I believe when it comes to that. I just know that they're all kind of struggling in their, their own situation. Um, it's it's just, it's it's those ones that you really need to think about. You know, in your, in your town where you've got that independent venue that's been there forever, um, you just don't know. I think I, I think, though, that's the one, those are the ones you need to look out for, and they're the ones that are in the most trouble.
0: One last question, and and that's this. If you have to take certain safety measures to go out to a live entertainment event or even a live sporting event, if you have to, for example, wear a mask. I heard on the radio earlier this morning they're going to allow fans in a Mountaineer field back in West Virginia this weekend for the first time, and it'll be uh, very partial capacity. I think 15,000 fans are allowed into a 70,000-seat stadium, but yet there's no tailgating. You have to wear a mask the whole time. You're in there. Um you know there's piped in crowd sounds and inflatable cardboard human beings in some of the seats and all that yeah. does does all that take away from the entertainment experience because you think of going to a concert, you sort of put the real world on hold for that ninety minutes during the show and you get lost in the music does it Does it take the fan away from it so much that that it will too negatively impact that experience for the entertainment? Uh, consumer that they'll just stay away until everything is is completely back to normal what say you
1: i i think that personally i would not mind going to a show and wearing a mask it just to me i i can't you know i I can't have it perfect right now and neither can the rest of the world Uh, i think there are going to be some people that are stubborn about it and you know that's their right to be so and they may say I'm not wearing a mask for an extended period of time. I may not wear a mask at all, whatever, but I know personally for myself, I would not mind going to a concert if I can be comfortable and feel safe. You know, as long as I'm seeing a great show, that's sounding good, that, you know, is making me feel good. You know, that gives me that same spark that made me want to get into this. I, uh, I'm, I'll be a happy man. I really won't mind. Um, but then again, there are some people that, uh, will mind and that's their right. But, um, yeah, me personally, I'm getting out there as soon as I possibly can.
0: That's because you and me love the music. Jack Foreman is my buddy. He's the president of Bi-Coastal Productions, uh, an entertainment booking agency in New York City. Thank you for spending some time with us, and I wish you and the gang of Bi-Coastal all the best.
1: Thank you, Burke. Always a pleasure, and uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: The Big Time Talker podcast of the Blog Talk Radio Network, presented by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com. I'm Burke Allen. Wherever you go, whatever you do today, Make it a great day. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.